Yo creo que si me conocieras sabrías que la muerte es mi pan y el peligro mi mantequilla. No, el peligro es mi pan y la muerte es mi mantequilla. No, no, espera. El peligro es mi pan, la muerte, no, la muerte. No, perdón, la muerte es... La muerte y el peligro son mis varios panes y mantequilla. Well, I just want to talk about GPS because we were we were going to a restaurant last night and um, put the GPS in. The GPS, when you say I want to go to this restaurant, it literally the, the the dot that it sends is the middle of the restaurant, as though I want to drive up to the hostess station. <laughs> it's like why don't why doesn't the GPS tell me to drive to the nearest parking to the restaurant? Because I don't want to drive. How big right is in. this restaurant? Though? I don't. I, I the don't know. The dot is just a tiny part of it. Yeah, but the dot is like somewhere inside the restaurant. But are That's you not yeah, where I want to put my car? Betting that you're not entirely. But you asked stupid. it where the restaurant was. You didn't say where can I park near this restaurant. But what do they think? If I get driving directions to a restaurant, I'm probably going to want to park my car. Well, why don't you get driving directions to a garage? Then I have to do an extra step. It should. It should know for me that if I'm driving to a restaurant, it should. Find the nearest parking to the restaurant. Do you think we're one upgrade away from it being able to do that? Yes. You should invent a new app. Yeah, I think I think I think Google's algorithms can figure this out. I think I think that needs to be fixed. So, Michelle, can you email Google? Yeah, yeah, Thanks. I can do that. Thanks. Yeah. We we can talk about the elephant in the room. What's the elephant in the room? I think we need to take a swipe at TED Talks. Oh, really? Finally. Why? Aren't you tired of them? They're getting on their high horse. I know. There's a lot of different kind of TED Talks too. There's I TEDx. Know, Ted Y, Ted Z. But I think we should have our new segment, Hot Takes from Eight Years Ago. Me swiping at TED Talks for being Got it. done, played out, which I think is what people said in 2010. I think my my favorite thing to say to people on Twitter is hot take, even though I don't actually do that because I'm non-confrontational. But I say it in my head a lot, <laughs> a lot. Would you? Would it be HT? Something, no, something along the lines of- You know what? I could, I could heat my house for the winter just based on that hot take. It's something I want to say, but I've never had the courage to. All, all I'm going to say is that anytime, if we have the radio on in the house, which is, is always, and I won't register what's playing, and something will be really irritating me, mm-hmm. 100% of the time it's because it, it's a TED Talks radio hour. And oh, okay. Somebody's just going on about something where I'm thinking, are they not going to respond to whatever that person said that makes no sense? Is there What's going on here? People just say most the most random, grandiose things that are not based on anything in TED Talks. I think I stopped watching TED Talks like in 2009. So they were, I think they were good back in 2008, but then there's way too many. Like there's not that much stuff that people can talk about. Like now anyone can do a TED Talk. Pretty the much. The bar is very low. Yeah, well, you, you're, it used to be your name actually had to be TED. <laughs> and now they're just like anybody. Would we say TED Talk is just stand-up comedy that's not funny? Oh, that's a that's a good point. That's a hot take. That's a that's a hot. Ooh, get some marshmallows, guys. Ben's got a hot take. <laughs> I won't defend them too much, but I will say that I use TED Talks quite a lot because there are so many that I think just by the law of averages, some of them are going to be good. Mm-hmm. And there are a number of really good ones, but they're just they're so ubiquitous now. Like just this stop is, it. This is one thing I've wondered about TED take, TED Talks. Do they actually have a clicker in their hand? Because they're really good at making the slides transition while they're talking, but I never see a clicker. Is someone oh, else in the I've back them. clicking them? I've seen them clicking. Maybe yeah. maybe new ones, but the hands. but the old ones, they yeah. had nothing. That's your point about TED Talks? I think they were timing it to each slide click, and I, I want think you that's to, amazing. I want you to make that point in the style of a TED Talk. And I know part of it is visual, where uh-huh. you have to see the person with their hands kind of cl- 
uh, clapped or tented together yeah. in front of them. Mm-hmm. And and right. you have to be you have to be a standing sort of pacing from the middle to the side of the stage so that yeah. you can point back to whatever you've clicked on. Okay, but so so they got their hands. I'm I'm pointing at your hands. It's like it's, it's they got inside their, their hand. It's how small are these? How what is the technology they're using? <laughs> I want you again. You have to make your point in the oh, style of a TED talk. You just have to. What? It's not wait, that hard. Wait a second. Yeah. In 2007 in Uganda, yeah. a young boy had a clicker. Yeah. In 2012 in Silicon Valley, we made a million of those clickers. <laughs> Here's the story of how that happened. That sounds kind of like a TED talk. I mean, was I getting there? Speaking of TED talks, we uh, went to, um, I guess, a version of TED talks. It was uh, Nerd Night in Bethlehem, hosted oh. by friend of the show, past guest Glenn Tickle. <laughs> yes, we I t- heard about this. So yeah, so there's, um, so Glenn Tickle, um, you, local want, you really want to get this on air? Friend and local stand-up comic has had has, has high a, quality stand-up comic. Yes, has uh, has TED talks in in Bethlehem, and so Ben and I went. We learned about Bitcoin. We learned about the Canadian flag, and Glenn has asked us to do a TED talk. Either individually you know or together. Not TED Talks, though. Nope. It's Nerd Night is right. what it's called. Damn. Do you oh. know the name of the Flag Guys podcast? Oh, yeah. Vexilologicast. Vexilogicast. 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 Yeah. That's the study of flags is vexology. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, but, so Ben and I may be doing a Nerd Night sometime in the summer. Um, we'll be on stage. Um, talking about something that we know about. And we're not really sure what we want to talk about. Ben, would... Ben's an expert on many things, and so he could talk. I don't, I don't feel like I'm a, I'm expertise on anything, so I, I wouldn't want to give a talk. Do you think we could do it on pretending to give a TED Talk? I think you could probably do it on all the aspects of podcasting that don't include knowing how to actually record your own <laughs> podcast. <laughs> mm, that might be good. Oh, that's a dig from the producer. Oh, wait, that was it a dig. Is a dig from the producer. <laughs> See, Ben could talk about the 83 Orioles. At length. Certainly. I or even have a picture. Or food history. The 79 Facts Orioles. about margarine. Oh, yeah. Actual That's, things yeah. that I know. Margarine facts. facts. about sugar. Well, given that, given that Ben facts essentially... About, no, nobody wants facts about cottonseed oil. That never comes up. It never does. Well, I, this is your chance for it to come up. <laughs> well, this is the thing. Ben does nerd night three days a week at this college. Also... And students pay for it. Also, every time he makes a quiz for this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's only got to be 10 minutes. We could do this. But those are demonstrably things that I don't know anything about. Sure, but the whole, I feel like you could easily turn any one of our quizzes into a nerd night. Mm-hmm. But I think for like for nerd night, it would have to be how to make a quiz for a podcast. Like it's something that you're an expert on. Mm-hmm. So I would and be you've the done. expert. Do you yeah. feel really confident in calling yourself an expert on making quizzes for a podcast? Well, not for a podcast, for, for this podcast. You've got almost 10,000 hours experience doing it. <laughs> right. So you're right there. <laughs> yes. Certainly if you factor in the lost episodes. Yeah, Shout out yeah. to Malcolm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's a real tipping point. Friend of the show, past guest. Um, <laughs> yeah. Nine. So, so I think we're, I think we're going to do it this summer. We had the opportunity to do it in March, but then I got scared and Ben's not, cause Ben's not going to be here and I have no expertise. <laughs> and I wanted Simon to do it on curing meats. Yeah. I haven't done that in a while though. Did you all know that Simon used to cure meats? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait, that. Simon knew that? Yeah. The silence out but- there is deafening. There's even a photograph of this. I have, I have, I created, a, I created a meat chamber to cure meat in. It was, it was essentially kind a. Kind of scary. Honestly. It, yeah, it was inedible. Um, but the, <laughs> it's essentially a chamber that rots meat at a much slower rate than just putting it on the kitchen counter. So I, I would take like six weeks for the meat to rot, to rot <laughs> instead of just like six hours. So if you guys want to know about that, I can talk about that.
we have a guest. Yep. Oh my gosh. Let's cut the shenanigans. Um, this is episode <laughs> 107 of Very Spreads and Butters. I know you promised you weren't going to do the Roman numerals, I'm but not anymore. You want to? I, I really do. I'm uh, CVI. One of, one of your hosts, Simon Portmantonov. With me, as always, is Ben Brickhouse Cohen. Out in the studio, we've got a plethora of interns. We've got a producer, Michelle Hyphen Poulton Simon. We've got, yeah, we've got Andy, star student Mitchell. We've got Ben Sesame Street Gordon. And we've got... You don't want to do other Ben Gordon? I don't know. Um, but our very special guest in the studio today is professor in the Film and Media Studies Department at Lafayette College, Catherine Groove. Catherine, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah. Good. Thanks for having Hi, Catherine. me. Can you guys hear me? We can hear you. Okay. Now, are, are, how's your sound in your earphones and everything? I can hear you guys really well. And now I can hear myself better. So okay, I guess good. that's what I okay. need to okay. do. You are in Film and Media Studies, so you probably have right broadcasting savvy. <laughs> no, I do not. No, film studies. So we'll, so, not, we'll still assume so. Film, yeah, just go ahead. Just yeah. the silent hey, films. But you taught me a whole class on sound, so I feel like you should know when sound is good and when it's bad. It's true. I do know a little, but yeah. I don't. Uh, I don't describe myself as a. I'm not like the production expert. What do you would you consider yourself an expert in? Film history. Film history. Yeah. So mostly early and silent film. Mm-hmm. I'm not like a historian in the traditional sense. I'm interested in like thinking about history and the ways that we write history in film and what film is as an artifact and that sort of thing. So I don't really tell histories. I sort of think about how we tell histories and why we tell them the way we do. Through film? Yeah, through film. Through really weird films. So you you get a hard start to to what you need to know about because you don't need to go back to Roman times or anything like that. (laughs) No, there's a hard start. That's true. Yeah, there's a hard start. That's good. There's a pretty hard start. I mean, it's a little bit fuzzy, but it's it's pretty um, manageable. When would you date the start? When's the start? Well, I mean, it depends if you're if you're including like chronophotography and that kind of thing. It's he usually is I, always, <laughs> always, always. Yeah. That's sort of a thing for um, Then it's a little bit hazier. But if you're if you're really just starting with film, we have um, you know pretty you know firm start date of 1895 or so. Although, like part of the project that I'm working on is to push against the the sense that we actually have from origins in film. What about that thing you crank and there's a horse running through it? Yeah, there's a that's lot. That's a film. <laughs> Right? We all know that. Like the zootrope. Yes. And Steamboat Mickey. <laughs> so Yeah, lots of people would consider that, like, they call that proto-cinema. So, oh, wow. you know, there's um, a sort okay. of period of time that we consider, like, we're on our, we're clearly on our way and people are doing things that look a lot like film, but yeah. we're not at the hard start yet. Is, is cinema like um, so many other technologies where once people from other countries talk about their inventions, you find out that they invented things much earlier than Western traditions? Or is this one um, really uh, a Western tradition? Yeah, what, what was what was Viking cinema like? Viking cinema, <laughs> I would say most people agree that it's um, it's it's weird to locate cinema in, you know, in any sense because what you have in 1895 is you have folks like the Lumiere brothers who invent this camera um, and then they take it all over the world right so like the claim on like whose cinema is that is a complicated one from the very beginning it's mm-hmm. also a global project from the very start so they're um, it's also a commercial industry from the beginning so they're taking this camera they're traveling all over the world they're producing films all over the world mm-hmm. and they're using that the films that they make they then invite folks from wherever they happen to be making those films to come and see themselves on screen um, but what they're ultimately trying to do is advertise these cameras and sell their equipment. Mm. Um, so it is a kind of, it's a complicated question. Like what do, do these films that are being made by these operators in 18, between 1895 and the, you know, the next decade or so, are we going to call that French cinema? I was thinking <laughs> of like the, the Brazilians claim that they invented flight. Yeah. Um, and then their claim I think is in part based on, so they don't accept the Wright brothers origin story. 
But theirs is like, um, they don't say that they did it first. They, they didn't do it before, but they say what the Wright brothers did didn't really count as flight mm. compared to what they did. I mean, I'd be interested to hear if there's a counterclaim to this, but I think that like the most degree that it is primarily um, American, French kind of competition mm. in the very beginning, um, that there are technologies all, all over the world that are those kind of proto-cinematic technologies. Yeah. But in terms of getting the moving image going and um, producing a machine that is reproducible um, on a large scale and um, that it has actual kind of commercial, app, you know, the, sort of like they're thinking of it as a commercial mm-hmm. application. Right. Um, because the, con- the concept of taking a bunch of still pictures and then putting them together I'm sure someone had thought about, but then actually creating this thing is... Yeah, I mean, there were kind of different, you know, it was a complex um, nexus of things that had to happen. Not only did you have, have, you have to have a machine that could produce these images, record these images, Mm -hmm. then you had to develop the images and project them. And the the camera we consider, you know, one of the very first cameras that could do that was the cinematograph. And Mm -hmm. that was a machine that did all of those things all at once. It was really small and it was transportable. You know, there may be, there may have been machines that were um, in competition with that, but didn't quite have the um, that trifecta and sure. you know the portability of the cinematograph. So, mm-hmm. you know, Edison was also you know competing at the same time. He didn't have the portability of the cinematograph. You had mm-hmm. to go to the Black Mariah, and, and you know he had a sort of heavier camera. And, but he was also inventing lots of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also a big jerk. Yeah. <laughs> we know that now. Yeah, and I'm not. A f- I'm, we're getting off the fence on that too. <laughs> we appreciate some of his inventions, but he was kind of a jerk. Kind of a jerk. Yeah. But so he was. He had a lot of um, devices leading up into. You know, he he had this this camera in the Black, Black Mariah where he would have people come in and he would record them on site. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there was competition between you know these two major players. But if you sort of dig into the history of these devices, lots of folks will say like what the Lumiere brothers did was just like perfect one piece of the puzzle that made it into this portable sure, thing. But right. there were lots of inventors who were contributing to yeah. that consolidation of knowledge that made it possible. So there was so a turning point. We were just talking in class about uh, sort of the, the railroad's role in the invention of panoramic view, mm. that before the speed of railroads, that concept didn't really exist, that people could stay still and you could see something run by. Mm. But the fact that you could be running by to see something staying still yeah. was completely new. And the view out the window of a railroad at that speed was a huge increase. I feel like you could get on a, a snow sled with a camera and just go fast down a hill, and then that would do the same thing as a train. <laughs> sure. So, And then you'd have, uh, so it was not too long till jackass. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> to just <laughs> yeah. hop, skip. Yeah, Johnny, that's, Johnny, that's how we do that. Just from that, from Lumiere Brothers to Johnny Knoxville. Sure. It's they anticipated sh- that. It's a short, they did, short they history. So one century. I think it's common in, in most fields... If somebody is an expert or studies something and then they're engaged in the broader pop culture discussion of that thing, that's a pretty common feature for anything. Mm. Like there's lots of everybody is a scientist and then people are just talking about science like people like to talk about science. But it has to be more common for a film scholar that so many people, it's so ubiquitous that people have seemingly high minded or they feel like they're well-informed discussions mm-hmm. of cinema and film, yeah. but aren't actually film scholars. He always wants to put mise-en-scene into any conversation that he has. <laughs> and we I were do trying too. To, we were I trying do to too. do that. Yeah. It's also, it's interesting in the classroom, I think, too, um, because, I mean, I don't know what everybody's experience is in the classroom, but... A lot of TED Talks. 
a lot of TED Talks in film studies. What's Mm -hmm. interesting is you get students who, like, they have really strong ideas about what I should be teaching, and it's not what I teach. And so, (laughs) you know, like the... You know, everybody has a very personal relationship to this thing before they walk into your classroom. But I always yeah. wonder, like I started out in Complet, and so I had this future potentially where I was going to be teaching literature. And I always think like that road not taken. Would I have these students who are like, you're really teaching the wrong books. Oh, right. <laughs> like, you're really yeah. now. <laughs> teaching the wrong books for this class. That said, it would be weird if at the beginning of class you say, well, I assume everyone's seen a film before. And then one student was like, never seen a film. I, I have no that. idea what you're talking about. Right. <laughs> there is there is this experience, though, that you have because what I'm showing them, I think, departs. Not always. I mean, we do teach like, I, you know, in the intro class I teach, we do Hollywood and mm-hmm. fun things. And then we do things that I think they see as decidedly not fun. Mm-hmm. Well, what's or an like, example of a not fun thing, you think, from a student's perspective, not yours? Um, Michelle, do you want to pipe in? Yeah, <laughs> Michelle, <laughs> Michelle didn't take intro to film with me, but she could. I'm sure she could pipe in. I made Michelle watch um, Jean Dielman, uh, a Chantal Ackerman film that's like over three hours of Whoa. slow cinema. Oh. It's true. <laughs> it's true. I've watched a lot of weird things in my film classes. Yeah. Antonioni is another one. Um, La Ventura, I teach an intro to film, which is really challenging for students because it doesn't, it's, you know, La Ventura is the adventure and it's sort of, they think they're going to have an adventure. <laughs> it's a very different. <laughs> or maybe they think Avenger because that's a good film. Um, it's like well, uh, there's the Simpsons um, clip of all the kids in the pickup truck uh, going to see a movie. They're excited because they get out of school and it's like, Barton Fink, Barton Fink. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, what are some of the biggest misconceptions that your students have coming into an intro to film class? G- given that Lafayette students are high-minded and yes. really don't have any misconceptions. Definitely, if one were to have a misconception. Well, I think one of the things that most people have about cinemas is it's really hard for them to pay attention to anything other than narrative action. Mm-hmm. And so I think you know that it's hard for them to start um, paying attention to and you know to all the other formal elements and to think about the ways that form contributes to you know, like supports and supplements and certainly structures sure. um the film in excess of whatever's happening narratively and so that i think is it's really hard for students to i don't know if it's a misconception i'm sure they know that like there are these other things going on in sure. cinema but right. i think as a as a skill i think it's really hard for students to um stop describing narrative action <laughs> to me and think about you know, I think that there's also this kind of over-identification with characters. And so I think one of the things students oftentimes try to do is explain who these people are in cinema. And it's like, they're not real. Like, they're not real, usually, <laughs> unless we're dealing with a documentary. And so the end is not to try to understand, necessarily to understand these characters, but to understand how they are constructed and, you know, how all of the elements of cinema are brought to bear to create something that is not simply about telling a story but something else yeah it's not just sort of turning on a camera and then letting things happen it's i mean you have to do all the other other interesting things what else do you have to do well you got to do like wide shots (laughs) you got to do that that dolly what about about deep focus deep sure you have to do that yeah Yeah. i you know i have noticed that when i'm watching make a a citizen kane reference uh rosebud no, like deep say, oh yeah, deep focus. He really, uh, he really pioneered Day that. Collage. Is that a thing? <laughs> that just, just go back to mise en scene. Okay, mise en scene. No, because when you're watching a movie, like those things that you're talking about, like like different ways of shooting, different different ways of of visualizing a scene. As a non-expert in that, all I could do if I were to make a movie would just put a camera on a tripod and just say go, and it would it would look just terrible. I mean, I think the other thing that students, you know, they come in thinking that what they're 
task is is to decide whether if or not a film is good, mm-hmm. which is not, I mean, that's not the end of this class. We're not doing film criticism. So I think, yeah. you know, they want to like thumbs up or thumbs down it. <laughs> or, <laughs> so t- like, or tomato or splat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it's not an either <laughs> or. And so part of what, you know, again, is like, it's not about um, whether you like it or not. It's mm-hmm. about what it means. And so that is a different right. framework for them to think about. Like any piece of garbage we look at, if you think it's a piece of garbage, there's still something that we can say about um, what it's communicating to mm-hmm. us, just like disregarding whether or not you like it. And then the third thing is, I think, um, students come in with a kind of framework. If they've done any kind of close analysis, usually as first-year students, it's been with literature. And so I think they see, like, there might be some analog there. And there are analogs, but I think there's also a difference between the kind of um, role and responsibility you can assign to an author of literature versus cinema, which is much more collective and amorphous and difficult to pin down. Like, they want to say... They want to like worship certain directors mm. and attribute all intention to one person. Right, and, sure. You know, so Did you, you was it um, your Twitter? Would you like us to talk about our favorite Tarantino movie or was it like our favorite <laughs> Wes Anderson? Let's get Spiel- white guys. Spielberg. Uh, yeah. Oh, Spielberg. Yeah. Let's, mm-hmm. let's, uh, we're both white guys with beards. Let's talk about Spielberg at length. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, yeah. That happens a lot, though. There's a lot of like. I don't, I don't want to know if I don't, I don't think I want to get to like the gender politics of film studies, but I do think it, you know. But there are gender politics. Are there, there gender, are gender politics? politics. Oh, okay. Absolutely okay, gender well, politics. Okay, well, something studies. new. Michelle, please <laughs> take the lead on oh. this. As I mean, there. Yeah, I I was in women in film last year, <laughs> and that the gender politics are clear. Their gender politics are also clear between like which majors or minors take certain classes and which ones don't. Yeah, like women in film or specter of race in film. The people who take those classes are basically the same set of people and then there's a whole other group of people that do not touch those classes at all but they would take the spielberg studies oh yeah yeah. absolutely (laughs) without a doubt i think i can say this i used to work somewhere (laughs) (laughs) we we won't ask he used to work somewhere Mm -hmm. and um one of my colleagues taught a class called like heroes and cinema and it was just like distilled in this like most crystalline perfect way Mm -hmm. like everything that's terrible potentially about film (laughs) studies which was like all the heroes were men all the students who took it were men it was just like dudes talking about heroic men in cinema and how great certain filmmakers are in this what were their thoughts on the Ghostbusters reboot? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, exactly. You're like, do you have an anonymous identity <laughs> online? Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's certainly that strain of um, film studies, which is about um, mastery and control and power. And, wow. um, you know, I think unchallenged can be kind of a troubling um, strand of ideology. In I think that's studies. probably true in many, many well, cases. Yeah, many. Well, isn't that sort of why Black Panther is sort of this phenomenon right now? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I have a question. Go. How did you get into all this? Oh, I where, mean, where did this where did this start? Is this like a lifelong passion? Did you go journey, journey, <laughs> journey? Good. Uh, yeah, where, where, yeah, where, where did when you, did you first hear journey? Wait, like, oh no, not that. My sister was a big journey fan. Oh, that's not, oh, that's not what we meant. No, no. Where, no. where are you from? Yeah. I'm from? I'm from Orlando, Florida, actually. How long did you stay there? I was there for 18 years. Oh, there you go. And you okay. worked at Universal Studios. And that's got, that's what got you started. <laughs> done. I did okay. have friends good. who were in the costumes at Disney, but I did not do that. Okay. okay. Yeah, I was pretty ready to leave Orlando by the time. Although I hear it's making a comeback. I got lots of friends who are still in Orlando who say it's a totally different town. But mm-hmm. I don't get back there that much. And I didn't like it that much by the time I was leaving. And, and if I remember correctly, just like our previous guest, Diane Shaw, you moved, although she moved south, you moved north to Atlanta. I did, yeah. We both went to Emory. Oh, good school. Atlanta's good. a great town. 
I liked Atlanta a lot. Yeah. So four years there, and then I moved out to the West Coast. I was in California for a little bit, and then I was in Arizona for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I taught for a year, um, taught middle school for a year, Ooh. and then promptly <laughs> uh, applied to graduate school. <laughs> you, found your fa- you found your calling by teaching <laughs> middle school yeah, kids. Was, yeah, so I left uh, Arizona and then moved to Ithaca, started graduate school, did graduate school for- Another Cornell person. Cornell, yeah, I know. And so you did your PhD? At Cornell. I did. In comp lit or in film studies? I started in comp lit and um, because as an undergraduate, I was comp lit at Emory and I studied Marguerite Duras and I, that's how I kind of got into film as I did this big project on her work. She's really, um, can't recommend highly enough reading her stuff. She had this weird kind of conception of like temporality and it was almost like a photographic kind of temporality. She felt like once something was published, it was sort of dead and she had to like revive it. And, and mm. so what she would do is she would rewrite lots of, and m- much of it was wow. autobiographical. So she would write something as a novel and then um, it would become a screenplay or that would become a, a piece of theater. She wrote the screenplay for Hiroshima, Hiroshima Mon Amour, which is this film by Alan Rene. Some people know. It's like huge class. It's like huge. A, it's a it's huge a... classic, but she didn't actually make the film, but she did make her own films. Um, and many people find them completely unwatchable. Mm. Um, a very long. <laughs> what are there? What Rotten Tomato scores are we talking? About? <laughs> We're talking very low. And she okay. herself said that, like she, you know, if people didn't enjoy her writing, she really didn't want people to go to see her films. And so, lots of people like took her advice and didn't see any of her films. <laughs> That's um, good. So, but there, but that I was really into her writing. I was really into. I really liked Hiroshima Monomore. So I, you know, went and saw all of her films. And so I have a very high tolerance for boring, long, overly symbolic, (laughs) like psychoanalytic cinema. Um, But anyways, I was really into her stuff. So then I went to to Cornell and I thought I was going to kind of continue looking at like mid-century avant-garde stuff and um, just took a totally left turn and started working with a film scholar who was an early and silent film scholar, but also just started getting into non-narrative, non-fiction, ethnographic material with her. And so what does that mean? So films that were made by um, colonial governments, films that were made for anthropological institutions, kind of state documents, mm-hmm. things like this, that I was interested, I thought, when I started out, I was going to work on like experimental or avant-garde film. And what was interesting when I started seeing this material was it was extremely experimental. Um, it was kind of incoherent in ways that the avant-garde oftentimes is. Um, and so then I just started getting interested in like, what was it about these this form of filmmaking, this kind of government amateur, um, you know, nonfiction filmmaking that mm-hmm. concluded all these traces of experimental cinema. So, so we're like all those are the like U.S. government films from the 40s and 50s, like the completely non-experimental versions of those kind of things. Like um, watch out, Billy, there are strangers on the street. Duck and cover. Yeah. I mean, I think the minute that you have certain like you have voiceover and you have uh, you're sort of bringing the image under control through this this voice that sort of tells you where to look and tells you what the image means. Um, those kinds of devices are not present in these um, early films. Um, they oftentimes are kind of like raw footage. Um, they sometimes get edited together and there are intertitles, but you know I'm also really interested in how language works in these films. They oftentimes have like paragraphs and pages of intertitles. That's where Lucas got the idea for the Star Wars crawl. Just long, long exactly. series of texts. There. Yeah, it the is, original it cut was just that. Just that. Just a paragraph. Resonance. <laughs> yeah, a lot of, of text. That, uh, um, now, now, did you come to Lafayette right after Cornell? No, she didn't. No, no she didn't. Well, let's let's keep going then in the journey. 
uh, after Cornell, I so I went on the market in 2009, mm-hmm. which is not a great year for Oh, yeah, jobs. that's right. I remember that. <laughs> Everyone harken back to yeah. 2009. Good timing. But I was lucky and got a job in Where? Scotland. In Scotland? Uh, oh. Surprising, yes. Uh, <laughs> the University of Aberdeen in the oh, northeast of Scotland. I've been there. Aberdeen's a weird city because it's the capital of North Sea oil. So you have a lot of Americans that are there who are oh, okay. working in oil. Uh-huh. And so there's this interesting, uh, interesting if you're not living there, but interesting tension between um, sort of local Aberdonians and um, oh, well, the Americans. Oh, Aberdonians? Aberdonians, yeah. Nice. We learned something. Yeah. Right. So there, there was this kind of tension um, because a lot of people would assume that you worked for the oil industry and that right. was good or bad depending on how you felt about the oil industry yeah. and what it did to Aberdeen. Well, how long were you an Aberdonian? I was never an Aberdonian. I think they would not include me in that. <laughs> well, that, long, that if community. you are from Aberdeen, email us at verysprezenbutters at gmail.com or uh, text us. I bet you. Tweet us. Tweet us. Yeah, I'm going to mm-hmm. post this to Facebook. I bet there are some Aberdonians who are yep. going to listen. How, um, long, how long did you live among the Aberdonians? Seven years. Wow, that's a long time to be live among Seven. the Aberdonians. Yeah. So, and still, you weren't an Aberdonian. No. They never took you no, as their own. Definitely not. <laughs> I mean, which is not, you know, it's just, it, it was hard to break in, I think, you know. Um, it's a real it's, mise-en-scene. It's a real mise-en-scene. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know. I, I just think if I keep saying that one time, it's going to be correctly used. Yeah, maybe. One, just one day. It stands to reason. Mm-hmm. I think it's just, you just, like, environment. Just use it to, for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a mise-en-scene historian. <laughs> yes, sure. exactly. Yeah. I, I will say, by the time I left Scotland, I miss it a lot. Mm. It's a, I love it as a country. Um, if I could have lived in a city other than Aberdeen, I might have stayed. Mm-hmm. Also, just as a as a country, I mean, it's there are no guns. Mm-hmm. Shout out to no guns. Um, <laughs> hashtag. Hashtag. And just a very progressive country on the whole. And um, yeah, just a really nice place to live. Hadrian's Wall. That's the difference. That's the line. Another fact. That's all we do here. So you've been here for, uh, this is your second year yeah. in Easton. Yep. And you're enjoying it? I am enjoying it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like Easton a lot. This this doesn't, well, we'd have to show pictures, but like your your office, you get to work down down the hill at the, at the arts do. campus. It's amazing. Which mm-hmm. is a pretty, beautiful place. Yeah. It's also right by the creek, which yeah. is really beautiful. Which um, is which is rising right now. We got a lot of rain in the last few days. Yeah. That's why like Buck Hall is up on the second floor. It's on little stilts, like yeah. a like a beach house in North Carolina. Now we have a a new film space, mm. a recently new Buck Hall. Yeah. Um, and it's like a legit like movie theater. It's it got like li- the stadium seating. It's got a big screen and everything. I mean, we actually do a lot of programming. Um, there's a lot of events that go on in the theater, Definitely. but it is extremely, it's just very time intensive to, to run that. Yeah, I mean, I help uh, run the National Theater Live showings down there. Mm-hmm. And like those do take a while for us to set up and make sure that that runs. And that's just like, I think those are also screenings that do some of the stuff that an independent theater does. Mm-hmm. Can yeah. I, um, on the... On the film point, I want to ask a question that we I haven't asked too many times, but mm. it sort of as a setup to the 10, 20, 30 question. Since you're here, I'll ask you um, your f- your first favorite movie and your current favorite movie. I wanted to ask that too. That's a good question. Like, oh, gosh. My first favorite movie was probably, this is going to sound like a lie, but it's not. My first favorite movie was Mirror by Tarkovsky. Well, when did Mirror come out? Or when did you see it? I s- the first time I saw it was when I was in college. Okay. And I had like a very obsessive relationship with this film. And I like, I watched it 
for a while I was watching it every week. But can, and like, can you give us a synopsis of the film? Like, no, no, it is really hard. Okay. And that's what's so interesting about it is essentially it's, it's I think Tarkovsky is one of his most autobiographical works and it's, some of it is in black and white, some of it is in color. Um, there On are purpose? These, <laughs> okay, he didn't just run out of film. <laughs> there are all these really complicated um, scenes in which it's very difficult to understand what's real, what's reflected in a mirror, what's mm. a flashback. Um, and uh, certain characters are played, different characters are played by the same actors. Mm. And so... Is that why you saw it so many times? Because you <laughs> thought you'd eventually figure it out? I, like, I think I felt in, as a college student, I was like, I'm going to figure out this puzzle. Mm -hmm. um, but then I just, I, I just had a, a love of this, like a very sort of loving relationship with this film. Mm. Um, and yeah, and... And it's sort of a cliche. I feel like lots of people are super on board with Tarkovsky. And it's kind of like if you want to like impress people. It's not people, cliche in this room. Okay. <laughs> if you want to like impress people with your art cinema, you're like, I have seen all of Tarkovsky. But, um, Let me get no. my beret on yeah. so I can my, my first, about film. My first favorite film was Swingers. <laughs> um, okay, now I, thought it was, I thought it was the Money Pit. <laughs> Money Pit is good. Uh, what's your current favorite film? I don't know. I have to think about I I I have to admit that I have two small kids and don't get you, out. You can to admit like that. Contemporary. That's fine. That's fine with that. <laughs> I don't get out to see a lot of um, Another scoop. <laughs> contemporary <laughs> cinema. So I see everything about um, six months behind everybody else. That's okay. um, I did just see Phantom Thread. Um, I do like Paul Thomas Anderson a lot. I like, I don't like it as much as some of his other films, mm -hmm. but it was um, an interesting film yeah. to, our, to. I haven't seen it. About. Our, uh, one of our favorite people, Paul F. Tompkins, did a uh, theme to that film on Twitter, <laughs> and it's running through my head uh, right now as you speak. Yeah. So before I ask you the 10, 20, 30 question, mm -hmm. I'll give the, I, want the, I want the interns to pipe in on their first favorite and current favorite. It, that could be the same thing for them. They're it very It could young. be the same thing. You're very young. I would say one of my favorite films is The Princess Bride. Mm, nice. That's a good film. But I, like, I mean, I think that it's more of a like, I really enjoy this film like I don't know if it's necessarily like the single greatest piece of art film that I you I know, really enjoy, but I really love it. You know, yeah. that is not what the question <laughs> yeah. was. What is your favorite? Um, but I would say that that's probably one of my favorite hmm. uh, favorite movies now. Film. I'm trying to figure out when I can show my daughter The Princess Bride. <laughs> She's five, and the same with Never Ending Story, for example. Mm. Like I want to show her that film, but yeah. you know, like the but who has the time? <laughs> but <Ba> <laughs> that's a good, that's a really good one. <laughs> But um, like the horse, the horse scene, I feel like I can't, I can't show her that yeah. for a long time. <laughs> Any other uh, current or first favorites out there in the studio? I really liked Star Wars when I was a kid. I would say that that was probably one of my like early favorite movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, I would say I've said it before too, like not in the vein of what's the best yeah. movie in the world. Like my, I think my first favorite, I, sometimes I give different answers, but like The Jerk. Mm -hmm. was a really long-standing favorite movie of mine when I was a kid. Yeah. And that's not in the category of like this hallmark of modern yeah. cinema. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be that kind of answer. I've, I've been watching, High Fidelity's been playing on mm -hmm. um, reruns a lot lately. I really enjoy that film. That just came up when somebody was, uh, oh, Lindsay was criticizing it. She didn't like it? Well, I think she had a she had a gendered point. Oh, mm -hmm. probably. There's a lot of men. Andy, you were there. Oh, this is the movie I'm supposed to watch. Got yeah. It. With Jack Black. Still haven't yes. watched it. Yes. Yep. Sorry, um, Andy, Ben. Besides, like, Harry Potter and Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Gattaca, I think, was one of my f first favorites in middle school. Hmm. I remember my babysitter when I was, like, five giving me the DVD for uh, The Emperor's New Groove. 
I don't, I don't, I don't like that DVDs were around when you were five. Just want to say that. <laughs> well, I still, I still use uh, CDs a lot. So. Okay, thanks, <laughs> thanks, I just man. Appreciate that. I just got a CD in the mail. So. Thanks. Do you want to know what film Babysitter showed to me when I was eight? Uh oh, is that the mirror film? No. The Adventures no. of ba- Babysitting. Mm-hmm. The Shining. The sh- oh, oh come no. on. Oh. For real. What did your parents say? Oh. I've never watched that, and will I, never watch it. I don't think I probably told them, but I did not. I could not sleep alone yeah. as a child oh. for a long time after that well then i have a question go another one bring it Catherine. what yeah. was your favorite music at age 10 what was it at 20 and what was it at 30 it's a single question three parts 10 and 20 seem like hard ages and maybe that's part of the the question we um, definitely thought yeah. about it that much yeah okay i'm assuming definitely. that you guys we, did even as recently as the last episode i commented like 10 is usually whatever your parents were listening to yeah, you so don't have much agency mm-hmm. exactly exactly and so, so it's i was refl- like why not 12 but i'll go with 10 i mm-hmm. like 10 because it's before the, that you're really choosing it just to see where what background you're coming from okay and then 20 it seems like it's it maybe the high water mark of agency because you're trying to really spread your wings okay so 10 I was definitely listening to what my mother was listening to. And she, and so she listened to a lot of um, like Simply Red. Red, red wine. Wait. Anita no, Baker. Uh, Tracy, Tracy yeah. Chapman, which I think probably oh, yeah. is an album that I got a lot of. She's going to get a fast car. That's all you could say. That's all um, I could say. Suzanne else? Vega seems like she'd be in there. Yeah. Yeah. It's like my mother, you know, she she worked, but she like she had a very uh, obsessive relationship with cleaning our house, and she would um, <laughs> blast this music. Can you blast one. that music? Yes. Okay. I, I, you can blast Anita Baker. Weird. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And my I also had an older sister. She's three years older, and so she was listening to a lot of like cooler stuff in the eighties. Like and she liked Journey. She loved. Well, that I would. <laughs> I don't know how Journey, how people feel about Journey, but mm-hmm. I didn't. I she them. she she loved Journey, and I did not. She also loved like Van Halen, which I did not. But she also loved Madonna and Prince and Michael Jackson. So I was getting. That's all, that's all good. Uh, how about twenty? This is probably you're at Emory. I'm at Emory. We're in the crisscross. So I feel like there's a Another long Atlanta band. <laughs> crisscross. <laughs> I feel like the twenties. There's like a, there's a long there's a long tail of like high school into like if I had to pick one, I think I probably would say Tori Amos. I was listening to a ton of Tori Amos, mm-hmm. Ani DeFranco. Mm-hmm. I was listening to a lot of like Portishead, um, like a lot of women who were kind of angry. I got into a lot of I don't know like Northwest stuff like Slater Kenny and mm-hmm. Sunny Day Real Estate. Modest Mouse. What would you say about the age of 30? Yeah, I think 30, I would say there wasn't a lot going on in my music. I don't know if I'm saying like, if I'm being really specific, like 30, when I moved to Scotland, I'd say I had a little bit of homesickness. I was probably listening to a lot of um, like Will Oldham, Nico Case. Hmm. It's weird. Like I I just felt like I was listening to a lot of American, like it's like really concentratedly American music. That makes sense. I was just really but you didn't, you didn't try to sort of fit in the proclaimers in there at all. <laughs> no. 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 I also listened to like, I remember listening to Jay-Z's Empire State of Mind as well, which <laughs> is like songs that were like about America. Yeah, Cause right. I was like, I would need to get back to I America. Did a lot, I did a lot of the listening to Canadian mu- music when I moved down to the States. Cause did it was you? just, it just felt like. No, was it confusing that, that the band yeah. America is Canadian? 
Did that throw you off? No, I think they meant to throw you off. Did you that. did you accidentally listen to them a lot? I didn't know. <laughs> oh, I wasn't just like word searching. <laughs> they're talking, right. about, <laughs> they're talking about Manitoba. America. I don't like this. <laughs> Wait, I have a question about Will Oldham. Oh, yeah. please. Um, I think you're the second person, at least when I'm interning, to say you listen to Will Oldham. Yeah. Do you mm-hmm. know the uh, the Jeffrey Lewis song about Will Oldham? I don't. No, tell me. Oh, it's very good. I I I think I I told Ben to. Yeah, I'm prepared yeah. to drop it in again as yeah. we did last time. Yeah. yeah. Should we play it right here? Yeah, just just a, just a little clip. Just a little okay, clip. I'll use the same clip. Okay. Today I went to Major Math to remaster my old album, and on the L train in the morning, I was pretty sure I saw Will Alden. He was wearing the same sunglasses. Oh yeah. 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 I know. I now remember. Okay. I feel like yeah. I feel like I understand it now. <laughs> Uh, I will give Ben gets credit because I looked up that song when he mentioned it before, and I now I really like that. Thanks, Ben. Um, uh, then They're let's do a base. quiz. Interns, you ready for for being quizzed? Quizzing? Always. Quizology. Okay. Why haven't we had a theme song like for the quizzes? Like we don't have any. Ben, yeah, make, us, make us a theme song for, but only, but but no baseline. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know. Not Seinfeld, and don't sing. We don't want to hear you singing. Yeah, we don't hear you singing. So oh, okay. figure someone out. So the quiz today is uh, from the silent movie era. Oh God. And it is um, trivia about Charlie Chaplin. Are these real things about Charlie Chaplin or not? It seems reasonable. I just thought we would go for you know, the my, obvious. My former, one of my colleagues from Aberdeen was an expert in Charlie Chaplin, so I wish you were here. He well, might Something not must have rubbed off on you, I'm sure. We'll All right. That. Well, yeah. we will do the mic check question first. Yes. Catherine, you can go last. Mic check. You have the advantage. Okay. Yes. Uh, so they will answer this in the mic check question. If you're not familiar, usually it's always a yes. We just want to make sure everybody knows how the game plays. Or it's okay. always obvious, not necessarily obvious. Yes, All right. Yeah. So, okay, is okay. this was this is this a real fact about Charlie Chaplin mm-hmm. or not? Mm-hmm. Born in 1889, he was known as the Little Tramp and often appeared with a toothbrush, mustache, bowler hat, and bamboo cane. You know what? That just sounds so familiar to me. I'm going to say that is absolutely correct, Ben. What do we think out there in the studio? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. No. Come on, oh, dude. Come on. <laughs> What do you What do you think, Ed? I'm going to say yes. Say all right, yes. it's yes. Okay, we all know how it goes. Except, except for Ben. Except apparently. for Ben. Come on, man. <laughs> Why isn't Ben contrarian, Gordon? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, did he thrice marry teenagers? Oh, Ooh, I do. I do recall a teenager thing, but thrice. Thrice. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it was only twice. Plus, you know my interest in being able to say thrice. I know that's why I'm, I'm up there, that. almost as high as Aberdonians. What would it be for? For fourth? Twice? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um, we'll you're, figure that out you're later. Pushing the envelope here. I'm gonna ask. Uh, hey, mailbag. <laughs> why don't you Why don't you write us in? What's What's up? What's the next one from thrice? Okay, what do we think out there in the studio? Thrice married a teenager. That's a lot of marriages. Right. Sure. Okay. Ben. Yes. Okay, Michelle. I'll say yes. Okay, what do we think, Catherine? I don't know. Um, it seems oddly specific, so I'm going to go with uh, yes. It is a yes. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's I'm glad he didn't marry one more because then we wouldn't know <laughs> the same. He, he, married, he did marry four times, and the last one he married someone who was 29 when he was 54. Here's a, here's a filmography question. Yes. Uh, his first film was about a bored housewife and a charming stranger who broke into a backyard to swim in a pool. Uh there doesn't seem to be a lot of Chaplin-esque things you can do with swimming in a pool. So I'm going to say no. That doesn't sound... You can't so, seem like dancing around the perimeter and, and uh, jump the, the diving I, board. I might be thinking more... Like, whoa, is he going to dive? Maybe I'm thinking more Buster Keaton stuff, too. I don't oh. know. What do you think out there? I'll say no. Okay. Ben, Andy? Yes. Yes. No. No. Catherine, you got um, a mixed, cra- mixed, mixed votes out there. I don't know. I'll go with Yes. The answer is no. Oh. That was Kelly Reichardt's first movie, Rivers of Grass, from 1994. 
I thought you would all catch it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that makes sense. I love her stuff. Yeah, yeah I do too. But, you well, know. N- not, en- not enough to know that it's not a Charlie Chaplin film. <laughs> Will Oldham was in one of her movies. Yeah. In wow, my mind, it was black and white. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. Cool. Did someone steal his, his uh, recently buried corpse and try to extort his family for money? Oh, I hope not. Is this a thing? I hope not. I'm going to say no. Or did I just come up with it? That's Well, now I hope that you didn't just come up with it. Just didn't make it up. I don't know what to think here. I'm, I'm in a quandary. Um, I, would, I would rather think, you know what? I'm going to say yes. Because I would rather think colleague who's the chaplain. <laughs> yes. that you didn't make it up because that would be weird. I what do we think out there? I would think that's a there? good thing. Mm. Uh, no. no. Yes. No. I'd like to think I would have heard of that, but who knows? Okay. No. I'm going to say no. It's yes. It happened. Jeez. Good. See? When? when did he died happen? in 1977. Was it successful? Did they get some money no, out I think of this? No, after six days. I think they, they dug him up after six days and it was not successful. Can I, can I, does anyone else in here imagine them digging him up? It's just a pure like cartoonish skeleton, but the mustache is still there. <laughs> is that just me? <laughs> the toothbrush mustache? Yeah, toothbrush mustache. Yeah. That's just me? That's just you. Okay. All right. Back to filmography. His most popular film was about a plan to blow up a dam, and it was famous for being in the era of talkies, but containing extended scenes without dialogue. Blow up a dam. Yeah. It's dark. Blow up a dam. Unless it was for a good purpose. Can you blow up a dam for a good purpose? Do we know that? If you want to, you know, help the beavers or release the... Help help the beavers? Restore the ecology. Restore the ecology. (laughs) Oh, man. Mise-en-scene. Mise-en-scene. Makes sense. When you say mise-en-scene, it makes (laughs) sense. Um, I'm going to say no. Seems a little dark. What do we think out there? I'll also go no. Okay. I think yes. Okay. I'm going to abstain because I know that uh, our guest knows the answer to this. Wow. No, I'm going to say no. You say no. It's no. That was the uh, Kelly Reichardt movie Night Moves (laughs) from 2013 starring Jesse Eisenberg. That's right. Another wonderful film. Did Jesse Eisenberg blow up the dam? (laughs) Uh, He tried to. Okay. It's a it's a great movie, but for a bad reason, not for to restore bad, the ecology. Well, no, he for a good reason. He wasn't. He was trying to save the ecology and get rid of the dam that shouldn't be there. Uh, but there is an extended like fifteen minute scene of of no dialogue. All right, did Charlie Chaplin once come in third place in a Charlie Chaplin look look alike contest? You know, I think I read that on the back of a Snapple cap, so I'm going to say yes. <laughs> what do we think out that there? Used to be my go to knowledge source. Yeah. I'm going to say no because I'm pretty sure you're just pulling this fact as a Dolly Parton fact and then uh, oh. changing the name. Wow. You just you just know him so well. What do you think, Ben Andy? Dolly Parton. Uh, yes. Okay. I am wearing a shirt that says Dolly Spartan on it, so <laughs> I guess that's a no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. It makes sense. What do you think, Catherine? Um, I'll go with no. I don't know. That was a yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. In 19, he was very old. It was in 1975, two years before he died. Well, I guess then. And it was in France. Done and, so well. You know, we'll move along. Was Chaplin's most profitable film about a character who loses his dog and tries to get a job at a factory? Ooh. Was that hard times? That, 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 You're thinking modern times. I'm thinking modern times. I'm thinking fast times at Ridgemont High. <laughs> I put those both together. Um... I'm going to say yes. What do we think out there? Yeah, sure. Okay. No. No is the answer. All right. Catherine, what do you think? I'm going to say it's close, but it sounds like Wendy and Lucy's. No, actually, that was Wendy and Lucy. (laughs) Oh. What's that? The top-rated Kelly Reichardt movie starring Michelle Williams. Can I ask who Kelly Reichardt is? She's just an outstanding filmmaker. Um, We tried to bring her here. Really? Yeah, we did. Oh, I just, uh, a certain woman I watched recently. I think that's her newest. Mm -hmm. A certain woman, yeah. Yeah. What is is her most famous thing? She did Meek's Cutoff. She did... uh, She's had Michelle Williams in several movies. Yeah, Wendy and Lucy, Old Joy with Will Oldham. Um, oh, well, there yeah. you go. 
They're probably smaller movies. Yeah, they're okay. really they're really lovely. She could yep. do Captain Marvel. Have they got a director yet? Right. All right. Yeah. We only have a few more. Okay. Uh, did J. Edgar Hoover revoke his citizenship? Not his, not not J. Edgar Hoover's citizenship. Charlie Chaplin's citizenship. What is the quiz? That's true. I'm just just trying to make it. Did J. Edgar Hoover revoke Charlie Chaplin's citizenship? I don't think. Well, Charlie Chaplin, his political bent. You were just was referring to modern times. You haven't seen that to have the left, I believe, and therefore, and J. Edgar Hoover was not that. So, I'm just trying to work through this. But I don't think that did the director of the FBI ha- be able to revoke. I'm going to say no. What do we think out there? Also no. Okay. I think yes. Oh. I'll go no. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to say yes. It is yes. What? How do how you have that, that kind of power? How is that allowed? Thank you. Did you not say know anything about you? J. Edgar Hoover? Well, I know that he's a jerk, but I don't know if he has... Who was the other guy that was a jerk you mentioned? Someone, Someone else was a big jerk. Man, the, the, we're going to have a new segment called The Jerk List. James Franco. James Franco, yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Good one. He's, he's, he's not going to be on this show, that's for sure. Well, Catherine got it right. Okay. And Ben, you. you got that one right, your, your random choice. No, Can I he? took this very seriously, this question. Okay, All right. this particular <laughs> he question. In, he moved to Ireland. Yeah, he's actually European. He was born in uh, England, and okay. he moved here... You know, when he was a kid, he's and then naturalized. He moved back in the, I think he was got, got caught up in the all the McCarthy stuff from the fifties. Yeah, 50s. he was a. Mm-hmm. I think I think he's probably like a card carrying communist. I think he identified pretty le- very left. All right, now we're back to the filmography. Mm-hmm. Finally, finally, our last question. Yes, was his first film about a con man who scams a cameraman, gets chased by the cops, and generally tramps about? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. Okay. No. No. Who said no? Come on. <laughs> Come on, Andy. No. No, Ben too. Not, are you being swayed by Andy and Ben? There's, I don't think this is a trick question. Is it my turn? Yet? Yeah, I think it yeah. is. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 uh, definitely uh, yes. <laughs> making a living, making a living, nineteen fourteen. Yeah, that's correct. Oh. Not a lot of Chaplin films are rural. That's another. <laughs> that was another tell. <laughs> another tell. Yeah. Yeah. And none of them do take place around swimming pools? Mm, I don't know. It's a good question. It's a question for... for your shout out to Paul Flagg. Yep. <laughs> shout out. He friend of the show? <laughs> he probably Paul Flagg, friend of the show. Yeah. Yeah, get him to follow. Let's hope. All right, thanks, Paul. Glad okay. to have you on board. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, you had a question? Um, Friday or Sunday? Which day do you prefer? Friday. Always that way? Reasons? Um, yeah, Sunday is kind of a down day, I think. You know, just getting prepared for the week's teaching and it's still recording podcast it's kind of weird that we've decided to record our podcast on everybody's least favorite day <laughs> but i mean this is actually a nice change to the to the rhythm but exactly we're Good just trying to help the world here <laughs> we're trying to help our our friday friday brethren and sistren and making themselves feel better yeah but definitely i think okay. I prefer friday it's always been the case yeah, I think Sunday is just moody. Mm-hmm. It's right. a moody day. Well, we got to pair this with the follow-up. Licorice, black licorice, yes or no? Yes. Mm. Like, really? You really like it? You're not thinking red licorice, You right? started to like it when you went to Aberdeen, but before that you did There's some really delicious black licorice in the UK that I think is not Okay, well, we can, here. We can block out for like, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not talking like the, the jelly bean black licorice 
tar taste that's just I feel like is really gross. Oh, okay. There's, that's there's good a, enough for me. There's a sweetness to <laughs> okay. certain black licorice. The data sets are really falling apart recently. They really are. <laughs> but not my whole life. My mother was a huge fan of black licorice when I was growing up and I hated it. So there was a, there was a flip at some point. Oh. Um, Catherine, thanks so much for being in here today and talking with us. That was super interesting. I want to thank all the interns out in the studio. Andy, Ben. Even Ben. Even Ben and Michelle. And I want to let our listeners know that they can follow us on Facebook. They can follow us on Twitter at some later date, which is probably the best place to follow right. us. Although they don't. They don't. They do not. Absolutely <laughs> don't. And they can email us. Yeah, we, we didn't even get to talk about the mailbag this week. Exactly. Variousbreadsandbutters at gmail.com. Oh, can yeah. I ask a behind the scenes question? Uh, please. Who runs your Twitter account? Uh, oh, interesting. But sometimes you can tell. You can definitely tell. <laughs> oh, can you, Michelle? Oh, I, I mean, I've challenge. Been, I've been following that Twitter account for like two years at this point. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't am... even have a Twitter, and I can tell. Can we have a quiz that is who wrote this tweet? <laughs> That's, That's a good way. That's a good That's a quiz. I like that. That's another one that calls out for a theme song. Yes, who wrote this tweet? Who wrote this tweet? Yeah, that's good just good enough to just put a down notation <laughs> yeah we'll get a good baseline for you then um, you said no baselines big doors fan anyway um, thanks for being here thanks and for I think, you, I think we're good yeah. headphones off yes headphones off headphones off I'm getting very close to being able to do a nerd night on uh, Supreme Court Justice Felix Frankfurter. Oh, he was a jerk, right? <laughs> he he was a jerk. Oh, you are do correct. Not like and that I'm guy. doing an entire semester <laughs> long research project really? on him yeah. and how much of a jerk he was. Yeah. What's the class? Uh, Personalities of the Supreme Court. Wow. With Bruce sounds, Murphy. That sounds like a cool class. It, does it sound is a, like cool, a class. cool class. Basically, I, we're using uh, life cycle analysis to understand a Supreme Court justice and some of the decisions that they've made. Wow. Do you know that that uh, Frankfurter was afraid of getting into the thicket? Did you know that? <laughs> what? That, Michelle, do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Yeah, right? N- nobody else does. Well, um, it was a... If some, this is going to be your nerd night thing, you better expand. It was some gerrymandering case, and he didn't... It's pronounced didn't, gerrymandering. Gerrymandering. But I, yeah, that didn't explain anything. He didn't want to get in the thicket. He he did not. Which is about he, gerrymandering. Wait, wait. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna let, I'm gonna let Michelle. She's the expert. Explain. She's the expert, and I don't want to explain fully. I, gar- I will guarantee that Michelle knows a lot more about Felix Frankfurter than I do. I will guarantee she knows a lot more than about Frankfurter than I do. Probably a whole lot of stuff. I just wanted to show her that I knew something about him. I mean, I'm not. I'm not totally done with my research. I still have like you know six, seven, most of the semester, eight weeks of this okay. left. <laughs> Were you assigned Frankfurt or did you pick him? I picked him because I wanted to talk about uh, the Korematsu decision and how somebody who uh, was one of the co-founders of the ACLU decides to vote in favor of Japanese internment. And yeah, I just want to say that Ben and I are not fans of the Korematsu decision. Neither, n- none of us on this podcast, we do not, we're, we do we're not endorse We do not endorse that decision. That's probably a good call. It was yeah, a yeah. super racist decision. Well, it was. And, and I think we should also be given credit for knowing that we were against the decision rather than for the decision. Because, you know, in the sense that we don't, we actually knew what the decision was. So the decision is that it's constitutional to intern Japanese Americans uh, in on the grounds that they're go, like a threat to the United States during World War II after Pearl Harbor. Yep, I oppose that. But too. there's really no way that should have been constitutional. So that's cool. Was that after the executive order? It's it's approving of the executive order to ah. like right. deeming it constitutional. 
we veered off track. I never got to learn what you know about Frankfurter besides that, besides the Korematsu decision. Um, he was born in Vienna and immigrated to the U.S. when he was 12. Um, We've got nothing against that on this podcast. Okay. <laughs> we <laughs> are wanna, a nation of immigrants. Just, just want to just want to make that clear. Um, he was a law professor for a while and considered one of the most liberal law professors in the country. Professor Bruce Murphy, uh, who is in the Gov Law Department and one of my teachers, wrote a book about Felix Frankfurter and Louis Brandeis and the like influence Louis Brandeis had on Felix Frankfurter. Um, you don't know. I don't know. I guess we wouldn't know. We're a real lowbrow show. I think this is it. Wait, was Malcolm Gladwell really on this podcast? Episode 9. But yeah. We, that's one of the ones we lost. Yep. Uh, There's yeah, no somewhere. proof. My favorite thing about this podcast is when we don't talk into our microphones, but we shout as we walk through different...